0: in the Word of God with me to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. We were towards the end of Song of Solomon a few weeks ago. Now we're towards the beginning. We have had wonderful themes set before us already in the hymns that we've sang together. And trust the Lord will bless those to us as we consider his word for us today from Song of Solomon. We'll begin reading in chapter 2 and verse 1. Let us again hear the word of God. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. Ending our reading there. Trust in the Lord to bless His inspired, infallible word to all of us. Let us pray one more time, asking the Lord for His help. Our merciful Father and our Almighty God, we thank Thee for such precious words that are found in the Scriptures. We ask Thee, O Lord, that You will open them up to us today, even as The disciples were on the road to Emmaus, O Lord, and it is said that you open their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. Lord, we pray that will be our experience today, that you will open up this portion of your holy word to us and that you will enable us to feast upon the truth that is here. And Lord, we ask that you will help us to see Christ, that you'll help us to gaze upon him, in all of his beauty and splendor. Undertake for me, Lord. We pray, grant thy Spirit's power in the preaching of your word. And lift every heart heavenward, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, we were here a few weeks ago toward the end of the book. Now we're back toward the beginning. And just before we dig into our text, which will be uh, all of the verses we read, verses 1 through 7. Just to note uh, the context and interpretation of the book, uh, that's always something uh, I think probably needs to be noted when we come to this book. It's, uh, there's some controversy in the way men interpret the book, but just to note with you again, as I said a few weeks ago, uh, when I interpret the Song of Solomon in light of all of Scripture, Uh, I see it as a portrayal of the king and his bride, that is Christ and his church. Uh, That it is the king and his bride pursuing one another and then possessing one another. That's what you see the theme throughout the whole book. And it is an historical and poetical picture. It is that. There are historical uh, things here. There are uh, illustrations that are used But there's also a lot of poetry in that language, and so we see it as a historical and poetical picture that illustrates a timeless and spiritual reality of the relationship between Christ and his church. So I note that just so you know uh, where I'm coming from, and in case you disagree, uh, I still love you, so it's okay. (laughs) But as we dig into the text that I want us to consider this morning... Verse 5 uh, really gives us a key to the emphasis in these verses. You find said at the end of verse 5 the bride speaking, For I am sick of love. I am love sick. In other words, my, I am full of love and I am longing for the king. And so, really, what I want us to do as we consider these verses, is I want us to think upon this emphasis, uh, that is, that a heart full of love will produce a life full of service. A heart full of love will produce a life full of service. Our Lord said that he who had been forgiven much would love much. And those who love much serve much. And so that is how I want us to uh, look at this passage today at the in the general application of it as we consider the things here my goal is is very simple as we look at these verses as we meditate upon them i want you to leave here more in love with jesus christ than when you came in that's my goal if you if you leave here and i leave here more in love with christ that will thrill my soul and so I want us to consider uh, this text in light of this title, Being Full of Love for Christ. Being Full of Love for Christ. And I want you to note with me first, as we consider these verses, that this love begins with recognition. This love begins with recognition. Verses 1-3. through three. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of wood, so is my beloved among the sons. This love begins with recognition. The first thing I want you to see here is that it begins by recognizing who Christ is. It begins by recognizing who Christ is. We have several titles here Of our Savior, and they are communicating to us important pictures that illustrate to us truth about Him. There is uh, some controversy, uh, as there seems to always be uh, in most portions of the Song of Solomon, as to who is the speaker. And some take uh, the statement in verse 1 to be Christ speaking, some take it to be His church speaking. Uh, I fall on the side of Christ speaking for various reasons. Uh, But I will say this in the course of my study this week. I read the words of a man named Robert Hawker, and I love what he said. He said, there's so much, to, these, to this extent, <clears throat> paraphrasing of course, but there's so much contro- controversy about who the speaker is at various portions in the Song of Solomon. And he says, i rather not get into the debate, but rather rejoice that no matter who is speaking, I get to consider both truths. <laughs> and he was rejoicing that he could come to these verses, whether it is Christ speaking or the church speaking, there is much food for the soul to meditate on, and I think that's the right attitude. But as I say, I take it as, as Christ speaking. So it begins by recognizing who Christ is, and he says that he is the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valleys. Those are separate titles, but they really go together, the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley, and these are Sort of obscure words, these obscure titles. There's not a whole lot of information, at least that I can find, as to their exact description. Uh, But the point is plain enough. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's a rare rose. He's the Roses of Roses. Some say that the Fields of Sharon would have been covered with roses, and he says, I am the Rose of Sharon. Noting his particular quality. And he says the same regarding the lily. I am the lily of the valleys. And it's important to note here what these titles communicate to us. They communicate to us Christ's condescension to the capacity of his hearers, to his readers. Think about the fact that Christ, the Son of God, is willing to be compared to the things that he's created in order to help our understanding of His beauty and who He is. as the condescension of Christ to the capacity of His hearers. He says to us, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. So that we can understand something of His humility in that as well. Not only condescending to us, but His humility that He's being compared to His creation. But here what I really think is the emphasis is his accessibility because he's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. Uh, many say that the place of Sharon was the place of the plain. It was the place uh, where roses would be found, in the place of the plain. Then you had the lily of the valley, obviously communicating a place that is low in the depths found in the valley. And so really what you have here is Christ saying, I'm in the plain and I'm in the valley. I'm accessible to all who pass by, whether they're low or whether they're high. I'm accessible. I'm there. I'm the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. That's his accessibility to all men. All who, who see him are able to come to him by the grace of God the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. And it also communicates his quality. As I already said, he is the rose and the lily. And many will will go off into a whole spectrum of theological uh, deductions from these titles, but I really think it's as simple as noting his condescension, his humility, his accessibility, and his quality. I really think that's the point that the Lord is drawing us to consider Christ in this way by these titles. And as you think of his beauty as, as the rarest of roses, as the most beautiful and modest of lilies, I came across this quote as I was studying these verses this week. And it's a wonderful thought, especially as we apply it to Christ. A man was giving a speech about memory, And he noted this. He said, God gave us memory so that we could have roses in winter. God gave us memory so that we could have roses in winter. You think about that in relation to Christ. You think about Him as the rose of all roses. And you think about the wintry seasons. Of life. Now, we don't get this as much here because you don't have much of a winter. <laughs> and roses can probably grow here during this season. But you think about most places where there's, there's bitterness and there's coldness in the world. There's, a, there's this season where, where everything is, is dead all around. And there are times like that in the Christian soul. There are times like that where we find ourselves discouraged and downcast. You read the Psalms and you find that all the time. But God has given us memory so that we could have roses in winter. Christ is a rose that never fades, never wears out. He's the rose of roses, the lily of lilies. But also, note that he is the apple tree among the trees of wood. Another uh, title that communicates to us these similar things. Uh, and yet with more nuance. He is the apple tree among the trees of wood. As the apple tree among the trees of wood, so is my beloved among the sons. And what is this uh, communicating to us? Well, he is the tree of life among barren trees. He, He is a special tree among all the others. He's the apple tree among the trees of wood. In other words, none can compare to him. when you you see him in comparison to all the other trees, you see him standing out among the barren and broken cisterns all around him. There's no fruit to be found on the other trees, but there is fruit to be found in he who is the apple tree among the woods. It compares him to the sons of men. that's, the emphasis is, as you see Christ in comparison to all other men, He is the only one that stands out, that is able to save the soul, able to provide sustenance for the body, for the soul. That's the point. As you see the apple tree among the other trees, as we'll go on to consider, there's fruit there. Where is the other ones, there's no sustenance for the soul. As the apple tree among the trees of wood, so is my beloved among the sons. So he is all of these things. And these things communicate to us just his character, his, his loveliness, his beauty. He's the lily of the valleys, the bright and morning star. That's why we sang those hymns, because they so reflect the the, the heart of The author here, in this beholding of the beauty and the wonder of Christ. The apple tree among the trees of wood. And so it begins by recognizing who Christ is. But also note with me, it begins by recognizing who you are in Christ. Note that with me from verse 2. Because as Christ says, he is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. He then says, as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. So is my love among the daughters. So it begins by recognizing who you are in Christ. The reason I say who you are in Christ is because he is saying of his bride that she is reflecting what he is. As he is the lily of the valleys, she is the lily among thorns. You are the lily among thorns as you are in Christ. You are made beautiful in Him. This is communicating to us union with Christ. And that's why I take the first words as Christ speaking. Because He's saying, this is what I am. And this is what my bride is in me. The lily among thorns. The lily among thorns. You are now in Christ as the believer is is brought into Christ. You are made beautiful in Christ, in the midst of this barren world. Because that's what it says, you're the lily among thorns. The lily among thorns. And it compares the thorns to the daughters. Now there are various uh, ways that word is used throughout the Song of Solomon and as best I can tell, it refers to different things depending on what is being said. But here, uh, so is my love among the daughters and comparing them with thorns. Uh, you see that he's really saying you're the, you're the beauty, the spiritual beauty of Christ among the wicked. That's really what's being communicated because we see in Genesis 6 two that when we see the sons of God laying with the daughters of men, the general understanding of that is that the sons of God are the righteous. And the daughters of men are the wicked and they're intermingling and in all the things that go on in that chapter. But that's how I think this is meant to be taken as we compare Scripture with Scripture. That so is my love among the daughters, the lily among thorns. And so as, as we are legally made like Christ through our union with Him, we are made Beautiful. He comes and He takes you out of your sin and He imputes to you His righteousness. His Father makes you justified in Him and beautifies you therefore with all that is in Christ. And you become beautiful among the thorns. And so it's legal likeness. But also as we think about this, there's practical likeness. That as you come to Christ and you are made in, put in union with Him, you are made beautiful. But then as you grow in likeness to Him practically, you are made beautiful. More and more beautiful unto the coming day of the Lord. Change from one de- degree of glory to the next as you behold the Son of God and become more like Him. So you are the lily among thorns. But note here before we leave this, You used to be a thorn among lilies. You used to be a thorn among lilies. That the Lord made you into a lily when before you were as a thorn. You've gone from being spiritually barren, you've gone from being part of the curse upon this world as wicked. To being spiritually beautiful in Christ. I thought of the words of Robert Murray McShane. When you think about the fact that you are now the lily among thorns. And you used to be the thorn among lilies. He says, when I stand before the throne. Dressed in beauty. Not my own. When I see thee as thou art. Love thee with unsinning heart. Amen. Then, Lord, shout I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Amen. This love begins with recognition. Amen. Recognizing who Christ is and recognizing who you are in Him. But secondly... Note with me, this love grows by experience. It not only grows by recognition, it grows by experience. The rest of verse 3 on to verse 6. For the bride says concerning the apple tree among the trees of wood, I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head and His right hand doth embrace me. This love grows by experience. It grows firstly by experiencing who Christ is. Not only recognizing Him as we saw in the last point, but growing in experiencing of who He is. And really what we have in view in these verses, is is really the person and work of Christ. All of it is in view in this poetical language. And so it grows by experiencing who Christ is. The first thing we see in verse 3, we're pointed to experiencing rest under His protection. Experiencing rest under His protection. For the bride says, I sat down under His shadow with great delight. Note that imagery. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. In other words, the the word sat down communicates taking up residence. So the bride is saying, I I took up residence in him, under his shadow. And, and, And think of the imagery, what that communicates to us. I sat down under his shadow. In other words, the sun was beating down upon the bride. And she comes under the shade of the apple tree that is among the trees of wood. And she finds rest. And she finds protection from the sun. And when we think of the sun, you think of the things that are said in Scripture concerning the sun. But I just want you to think of two things as we think about experiencing this rest under His protection. She found satisfying shade from the wrath of God. She found satisfying shade from the wrath of God. I sat down under His shadow with great delight. I got out of the sun and into His shade, and she took great delight in it. She found satisfying shade from the wrath of God because as she comes to this apple tree among the trees of wood, she comes to the only one that's able to provide the shade that she needs. The rest. That was essential to her soul. And that is us. Brothers and sisters. That is is you. That is a picture of the sinner. That is a picture of the bride. Taking refuge. Under the shade that is provided by our Lord Jesus Christ. From the wrath of God. Shade that will never wear out. Shade that the sun cannot pierce through. Shade. Shade for your soul for all eternity. Amen. Satisfying shade from the wrath of God. But also, satisfying shade from the weariness of this world. Satisfying shade from the weariness of this world. You think of the, the just the natural picture here. And as this uh, setting is really in an arid climate and what is a desert, I became so much more aware of in the, the past year of how precious shade is in a desert. And I, I really didn't understand before I visited out west in Phoenix how precious shade could be and what a difference it makes when you're in the midst of the desert and the sun is beating down upon you when you find shade. You immediately feel the temperature change. You immediately feel the relief that the shade provides. And you get that sum here, but but it's just not the same as the intensity of the desert sun. And that's that's where she is. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. With great delight. Satisfying shade from the weariness of this world. Why do I say the weariness of this world? Because as we are brought into Christ, we're changed into new creatures. And as we go through this world, it is as a wilderness. It is as a dry and weary land. And very often we find our souls parched. We find our bodies weary. Because the world seeks to afflict us. And our toil is daily. And and it goes on day by day. The weariness of this world weighing down upon us the trials that we go through because we live in a fallen world with fallen people all around us and it is wearying. But in Christ, under this apple tree, there is shade from the weariness of the world. It is as we appropriate to us afresh the blessings of the gospel of Christ It is as those trials drive us to our knees and force us to confess our bankruptcy apart from Christ that we come to take refuge and shelter under Him as our shade, shielding us from the sun that so beats upon us. Satisfying shade from the weariness of this world. And that is a a growing experience. And as you grow in that experience, as you initially come to Christ, of course, you find this to be true. But as you grow on, you you see it's more and more true. And and what's the point of that? Why does the Lord take us through all of that? Why, Why do we experience these things? We experience these things to draw our hearts out after Christ. to to cause our affections to grow and multiply and be magnified for Him, to cause our hearts to be full of love for Him. And so it grows by experiencing who Christ is, experiencing rest under His protection, but also experiencing pleasure In his provision. Experiencing pleasure in his provision. For he says, I sat down under his shadow with great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. His fruit was sweet to my taste. He is, she is sitting down with great delight under the shadow. And she is partaking of the fruit that is provided by this tree that is Christ." We could go all over the place in the Bible seeing what is provided in Christ, but I just want to note three things as we think about pleasure in his provision. Think about first of his revelation. His revelation. What are we told in Psalm 119, 103? How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And have you not found it so to be? Have you not found the words of Christ as he provides for us this revelation this glorious book that changes our lives have you not found his words time and time again to be sweet to your taste I sat down with under the shadow under his shadow with great delight his fruit was sweet to my taste his revelation but that's just in general his revelation But think further with me about his attributes that are brought out in his revelation. Think about that. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 34, 8? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste. This communicating to us, this partaking of the the goodness of God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Thy words are sweet unto my taste. Why are they sweet unto my taste? Because they reveal God unto me. They reveal Christ unto me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And we could go everywhere else thinking upon the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, and all these various attributes that as we sit and as we meditate, as we partake of the fruit that is provided by Christ in His Word, by His Spirit, we taste we taste and we see the reality of who god is of who our heavenly father is and all that he has done for us in christ by his spirit but not only his revelation and his attributes but his redemption for that's the whole focus of the revelation is his redemption his work of redemption what did Christ say in John eight fifty two? If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. So we, we taste, as we sit under his tree, as we sit in union with Jesus Christ, we taste of his fruit. It is sweet to our taste. But Christ says, if we keep his sayings, that we'll never taste of death. The positive and the negative there. Because we are under his shadow, because we partake of his fruit will never taste of death. Amen. I trust that is sweet to your soul this morning. I, I trust that, that I am not the only one who feels the wonder and the beauty of what we're seeing here. That Christ has provided for us so that we will never taste of death. Though we will taste of the sweetness of His fruit More and more, unto and into and throughout all eternity. Experiencing pleasure in his provision, all that is provided in him. There's so much more, and it never stops. His provision never runs out. The fruit of this tree never goes away. He's never going to be barren like the other trees. We can never exhaust His fruit. So it grows by experiencing who Christ is. But also as we think about this love growing by experience, it grows by experiencing what Christ does. It grows by experiencing what Christ does. Beginning in verse 4. He brought me to the banqueting house and His banner over me was love. What is he doing here in these verses in 5 and 6 as well, which we'll get to? What is he doing here in verse 4? He brings us into his family. He brings us into his family. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. What this really is, is a picture of, of the wedding, of the marriage of Christ and his church. He brought me to the banqueting house. That is, the place of celebration and feasting. He brought me there. Not only were we out in the wilderness of sin in this world, and I I found the apple tree among the sons of wood, and I sat under His shadow with great delight, and His fruit sweet to my taste. Not only that, but then He brings me. He brings me to the banqueting house. He brings me to the place where, where we celebrate and we feast together in communion. He brings us into His family. The banqueting house communicates that to us, the the place of celebration and feasting. But you think about it, as you you come to the banqueting house, there are people there. And that's why I say that He brings us into His family because he's, He's bringing us to the place where His most intimate friends and family are, the banqueting house. That's who you invite to the wedding. And as he, as he brings us there, individually brings us there, to gather with the rest of his people to celebrate what he has done. The banqueting house, the, it really communicates to us as we think about it in its fullest sense, the assembly of his people. It's the assembly of his people. He marries us there. He, he brings us into his family. And you think about that as we come to the Lord's house. Every Lord's Day. We come to what is, in a sense, the banqueting house of Christ. What do we come here every week for? We come here every week to celebrate the work of Christ. And to feast upon His Word that tells us we're reconciled to God. And made nigh by the blood of our Savior. It's the banqueting house. And we get to come here every week. Every week we get to come here and we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. And we'll come here every week until eternity comes and we will forever be with the Lord. Feasting upon him, dining with him, celebrating his wonderful works. He brings us into his family. And how does he bring us into his family? He brings us with a banner over us. He brought me to the banqueting house and His banner over me or His flag or covering as it could be translated was love. You feel that? He brought me into His family and His banner over me is love. Well, how do we see that banner being love? What what do we see? Well, we see it in Him bringing us and how He brings us. And as we think about the love of Christ, we should always remember His love over you is seen in His suffering for you. That is how the love of Christ is seen. His banner over you is love because He has has come and bled and died and rose again for you. And that always communicates His love. That is his love for your soul. His banner over me was love. You think of your life and what it was and what it would be without Christ. And you think of him bringing bringing you into his family. And his banner over me is love. Who is worthy of such things? Not I. Not any of us. But He does it because He is a wonderful Savior. And He draws our love out. Oh, that we would love Him more. He brings us into His family. Always remember that. When you don't feel very loved by Christ. When you don't feel whatever is going on in your life is very loving. Always remember His suffering for you communicates His love. Always. You go and read what Christ endured in the latter part of Matthew, or in Luke, or John. And you see Him suffering. And the Word of God, the Spirit of God through the Word is screaming to you, I love you! And this is why this was done. His banner over you, is love. So He brings us into His family. Praise His name. But also He sustains us by His provision. He sustains us by His provision. Verse 5. Stay me, or sustain me with flagons. Comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. Now, the bride here, is really, it's like she's petitioning. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples. And keep in mind the picture, this, this whole, these verses are connected. The apple tree and the fruit that was there, comfort me with apples. The idea is, is, sustain me, keep me, nourish me with that which you provide. They are in the banqueting house, as we saw in verse 4. But there is a desire for more. That's why she says, I am sick of love. Now, as best I can discern, this is still wedding imagery. Because as you, as you get into these verses, it's not always easy to see the picture. But as best I can discern by the Lord's help, I trust, this is wedding imagery. And as they've been brought to the banqueting house, and they're feasting and they're celebrating, there, there's a desire for more. There's a desire for more. And she says, stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples. And so as we think back to verse 3, there's, there's initial satisfaction in Christ and what he provides. And then what he provides continually sustains us while we wait for him. Because this is during the wedding. And as you think about that imagery, and you think about a, a newly married couple, and you think you're going to enjoy your wedding so much, but at the end of the day... When you say, I do, and you get to that point where everybody's feasting, you're ready to just leave. <laughs> you're ready to go and to be with your spouse, right? You're ready to go and experience what it's like to just be with them in their presence. And I suggest to you that's what's in view here. That, that's the, the, the subjective experience of the bride. I am sick of love. I, I'm, I'm waiting for the full embrace of Christ. And you can see that, can't you? You can see that as we gather week by week that as we as we do, we feast and we celebrate, but it's not heaven yet. And it's not the full enjoyment of Christ that we're all anticipating and longing for and growing in. And so she, she petitions him, "Oh, sustain, sustain me. Sustain me. Comfort me with these apples. I I need to be sustained during this time and what sustains you but the provision that we've already considered that sustains you through this time period where we are waiting the the, the full consummation of what we will be in Christ and have in Him and then we see in verse 6 He embraces us in His arms He embraces us in His arms so there's This anticipation in verse 5 and then in verse 6. His left hand is under my head and his right hand doth embrace me. And and what is this picturing? Well, it's the the Hebrew poetry uh, and poetry in general. You can see it. The left hand, the right hand. And it's just communicating that there's a full embrace of the Savior. You in his arms. In full intimacy and communion the king hugging his bride finally he he comes and wraps you in his arms and when he does that as you know just the imagery again it's just it's a it's a warm embrace you feel his warmth and then you feel his love and though This is ultimately true in eternity. It is a picture that, as we'll see in verse 7, it's it's talking as well about the temporary feeling of it. And you you feel the Lord do this in your life. I trust you have as I have that there are seasons where, where there's that subjective embracing that we have in Him. And we feel Him increase the intimacy of our communion. And you never want to lose it. You never want to lose it. And that's what brings us to our third and final thing that I want us to see here briefly. Is that this love produces a holy jealousy. Not only does it begin with recognition and grow by experience, but it produces a holy jealousy. What do I mean? Well, verse 7 is probably the hardest uh, verse to interpret here. And... So I'm not going to be overly dogmatic. But I think the picture holds true throughout Scripture. And so I want to consider this with you before we close. This love produces a holy jealousy. She says, having been embraced by the Savior, she says, by the King, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love. Till he please. What is in view here? Why do I say this love produces a holy jealousy? Well, first let me say that, that jealousy can be holy. Let's start there. Jealousy can be holy. I'm not going to take time to turn to them, but I'll note them. Exodus thirty-four, fourteen is a title. We're given a title of our God, and it says that his name is jealous. In Zechariah 1, 14, the Lord says through his prophet that he is jealous of, for Jerusalem, for his people. And he's pointing out that he's jealous for their worship and their affections. And we know that, that God is not like a man in any, in any sense of those terms, but there is a, a condescension there. He's communicating to us something of the reality that he's jealous for our affections, whether we can understand all of it. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 too, that he was jealous For the people of God. That he was jealous for them. That they would have their affections to the Lord. And so, this is a holy jealousy, I I suggest to you. And I say that because, she says, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem. I charge, that word uh, could really be like a plea. I I plea with you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love till ye please. What I want us to see here generally, it's it's a hard picture in some ways to understand. But this love produces a holy jealousy. It produces jealousy for where Christ is. It is helpful for us to keep these verses connected. It produces jealousy for where Christ is. In verse 7, the image of verse 6 is still in view. His left hand is under me under my head and his right hand doth embrace me so she's being embraced she's experiencing the the deepest level of intimate communion okay and so that's the image in view Christ being intimately present with his people and that will ultimately be true and fully fulfilled in eternity but there's a temporal reality to it there's a subjective experience of God's people that you you feel the lord drawing near He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Well, there's something to that. That's an experiential thing. And so this is pointing in verse 6, the intimate presence of Christ with his people. And this is her constant desire in verse 7. And so it's a a jealousy over where Christ is. I want him here. I I don't want him anywhere else. I don't want this subjective experience to change. I want to know this level of intimacy as long as I can know it. But it produces also jealousy because of where Christ can be. Not only where he is, but where he can be. And verse 7 communicates the sensitivity of this experience. And the subjective nature of it. Verse 7 is a recognition that Christ can be subjectively distant from His people. We know that He's he's never going to forsake us. We'll never be forsaken by God. Uh, And that's the objective truth. Never changes. We're in Christ. Never out of Christ once we're in Him. But this is a recognition that there can be that subjective distance that you feel from the Lord. And he, I say all of that because of the language. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem. Again, who are the daughters of Jerusalem? Well, the various interpretations. But here uh, we can think of them as, as, as fellow believers. We can think in that imagery. And, and the, the, this is a subjective experience of the Christian and, and she's charging those around her to to be careful, to be sensitive to the level of intimacy that there is right now. That's why she says by the rose and by the hinds of the field. In other words, communicating that if you if you make a wrong move, if you grieve the spirit, if we can think in those terms, because we're told that we can grieve the spirit, that there there's a sensitivity to this, that if you you can drive away this deep level of intimacy. And there's a recognition that Christ is sovereign over this intimacy. That's how many people take till he please. That you stir not up nor awake my love till he please. There's a recognition that he has embraced me. He has put his hand under my head and wrapped his other arm around me and embraced me. He is in control of all of this. He brought me under his shadow. He made me willing. He brought me to the banqueting house. He embraced me in his arms. He is sovereign over this intimacy. And so, I would say here, as far as the application for all of us, as our love produces a holy jealousy, that we would guard our intimacy with Christ. That every day we would, we would hedge in ourselves by the word and by, by prayer. That we would ask the Lord to help us to, to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. That's what we're told to do. So this is a recognition that he can be distant in the subjective room. But oh, that means he can be so near. That means He can be, that means you can be in His arms. Amen. This is the, the temporary reality of life in this world. That, that this subjective experience is that very thing. It's subjective here. But one day, brothers and sisters, as we, as we close, one day, this will be your experience for all of eternity. Amen. There will never be a time where you will not feel the level of intimacy spoken of in verse 6. Never will there come a day where you do not know the warmth of His embrace. Let us be careful while we walk through this world to seize on every opportunity to lay hold of the Lord and to have Him lay hold of us. I end where I began. And I trust this has been the case for you as it has been for me. That your heart has grown in some measure with love for Christ. Because a heart full of love will produce a life full of service. And maybe you're thinking, well I do serve the Lord. And yes, we all serve the Lord. But there's always more to do. And there's always more of ourselves to give. Because we're always holding back something. That's just the reality of being a fallen creature in a fallen world. But the more our hearts are enlarged, we're given a greater capacity for service and eagerness to put all on the altar for Christ. I'll close with the picture as we think about the the king and his bride, the husband and his wife. You think about that just in, in our experience. A wife... That loves her husband, desires to serve. And the more love she has, the more she wants to serve Him. And that is so ultimately true in regards to us in Christ. The more we love Him, the more we want to serve Him. What else can I do for you, Lord? I'm not doing enough. Not to beat ourselves up, but to just, just please Him. Do whatever we can, by the grace of God, to see Him honored and glorified, being full of love for Christ. Oh, may the Lord help us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, oh Lord, we are so grateful and humbled to be able to call Thee our Father. Even that being the provision of Christ, that we could say those very words oh lord we give thee thanks for such wonderful words we give thee thanks for such a testimony to the relationship between thee and thy people thank you lord for saving our souls thank you for making us whole thank you for bringing us to your banqueting house thank you for setting thy banner over us which is love Oh, Lord, move upon our souls today. Draw our affections out more and more for Christ. Oh, Lord, show us what else we can do. Help us to have a heart full and being filled with love for Christ. Bless thy word, we ask in Jesus' name.